There is only one answer to these questions. All that we have is a loan from God. We are God's stewards. Let this thought sink deeply into our hearts. That is indeed what I have been praying, not only for this sermon, but those which will uh, come after this related to stewardship. That this would sink deeply into our hearts. We would never forget who we are, who he is. He's our master. We are his stewards. And we are stewards of all those things that I listed and of the time that he created us and the time he put us in now. Now, in the the uh, overview of uh, stewardship that I gave on December 29th, I shared eight areas at that time that we should be aware of and which we might be speaking on this year. First of all, spiritual gifts. We are stewards of God's gifts. We are all stewards of his manifold grace of God through the gifts. We are stewards of our finances. We are stewards of relationships. We are stewards of the gospel and of the word of God. We are stewards of creation and of the earth still. We're material, our material blessings uh, are a matter of stewardship. And of course, our body and our mind. We're called to be good stewards, faithful stewards of those. But the final one was on time, which is what we're talking about today. Every day for you on this earth has been determined. King David said in Psalm 139, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. It's good for us to remember this. So our days from conception to death are numbered by the Lord. They are physically limited, and they are according to his sovereign plan for us, which is good. They are a gift from him, and we are to use this delineated time, this limited time, well, because we are stewards. It's a stewardship trust from him, the days that he's given us on earth. It's for his glory and his kingdom, and for preparation, in fact, of our eternal home. John Piper One of his more well-known quotes is, Our life here on earth is a vapor's breath of preparation for eternity. Our life here on earth is a vapor's breath of preparation for eternity. It's a good definition, I believe, for a believer. And he said in his pithy way, Life is short. Eternity is long. Live like it. That was it. Life is short. Eternity is long. Live like it. We, we must live like it in both those aspects. That We must realize the brevity of our life and that, praise God, we are, will be home with him forever. Life is short. Eternity is long. Live like it. That's what the sermon is about, living like that. And then he goes on. Time is precious. We are fragile. Life is short. Eternity is long. Every minute counts. And then he said, essentially prayed, Oh, to be a faithful steward of the breath God has given me. And he means every minute of that time. Ephesians 5, many of you know this. It's one of the scriptures in the New Testament related to time. It says, we are called to walk circumspectly, it says. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly. That means you're always looking around you. You're very careful about what you do with your time. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, the redeeming the time means basically you buy it back. It's precious to you. And so you should be wise. We should be wise in using the time that our master gives us. And so we will begin this time, uh, on time, thinking about time and timelessness. Uh, 
with an overview of Psalm 90. So it'll be a fairly quick overview of Psalm 90. And then we're going to look at three aspects uh, of our stewardship of, that we need to redeem uh, related to working and serving on the earth, related to suffering on the earth, related to uh, our resting. And then we will conclude on how to keep a, how do we maintain a biblical and an eternal perspective? Well, that's tough to do. And so at the end of our time on earth and the beginning of our eternity in heaven, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And last week I was talking with some of the guys and I was sharing a little bit. We're going to be talking about you know, time and our brevity of it here on earth and I'm talking about eternity. And one of my brothers said, well, he, he believes that my sermon will be limited in time and that it wouldn't seem like an eternity. That's what he said. But I knew he meant it in love. And I'm a time-oriented guy, so I can tell you right now, uh, it will not be super long. But it was hard because I had such a joy. You, many of you have prayed for me. I read and I read and I prayed, and I had three hours of material to share. I won't do that. Uh, but it was a great joy. I will be sharing, I hope, what is the summary of that. So turn if you, uh, back to Psalm 90 if you don't have that uh, open or in the bulletin there. Psalm 90 is written by Moses, it says right at the top. Written by Moses, the man of God, and he's a man of prayer. It is the oldest psalm, and it relates to the wandering of the people of God in the wilderness. And so it, basically it's encouraging, it's encouraging that it starts talking about our eternal home and the eternal God. Verse 1 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. The Lord is our dwelling place. In all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, those seem timeless. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And brothers and sisters, we can't comprehend eternity very well, being born in and living in time. So the only way really to begin, begin to understand eternity is to know the God who is timeless through his eternal word. He created time. He controls time, and he organizes it all providentially as he desires. Praise God. Isaiah 57, 15 is a verse I would recommend meditating on. It says, for thus says the high and lofty one, he who is transcendent. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Praise God. He is also imminent. He's transcendent and imminent. Well, we can only begin to understand what eternity is and really what time is, I think, too, and how to use our time well as stewards through the eternal word of God, guided by the eternal Holy Spirit. The Lord is our dwelling place, as it said. He is our refuge for all generations of his people. And we have a physical dwelling place in, in time also. And the Lord is our eternal dwelling place, the dwelling of our soul, and eventually our glorified body. He is our portion in the land of the living and in eternity. He is our portion. The Lord's existence, of course, cannot be measured like ours. He is the same. And, and we have to use words of time that are limited uh, to try to describe the Lord. But he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Time involves change, but he is changeless. And so as we fade in time, 
we can take comfort that we are hidden in him. We are hidden in him. We exist in him, meaning forever in Christ. Praise God. So God is eternal, and he created time, and he put us in time to be stewards of his grace while we are here. Verses 3 through 6. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. Our Lord, having created time, is sovereign in it as he is over every part of our life. And all people will return to destruction or to the dust. Our frailty is seen in this. And he determines when our earthly house will pass from the earth. And God lovingly resurrects his own from the grave, his elect, to everlasting life with him, and the reprobate to everlasting condemnation or to destruction. And his people, those who by faith have believed in him, can in faith rest now, knowing that their soul and their glorified body will be again united. Verse 4 says, and this is a way for us to try to understand again a little bit of what eternity means. It says a thousand years. Now in our measure, a thousand years is many lifetimes. It's a long time. Some of the patriarchs lived a very long time, near a thousand years. But many years to us does not change the changeless God. They are like yesterday for him. Or one day, maybe, compared to a thousand years. Or watching the night, which is just three hours. But time cannot measure God. Our efforts to understand eternity often lead us, I think, to just being at a loss. How do we grasp this? How do we live daily with that in mind? We can only begin to understand eternity again by communicating with he who is timeless, the one who inhabits eternity. Verse 5 says, you carry them away like a flood. And then it says, they are like sleep, like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass. It grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up, and in the evening, it's cut down and withers. Now, the illustration of the flood here, Matthew Henry wrote this, we are continually gliding down the stream of time into the ocean of eternity. I think it's a helpful illustration. We are continually gliding down, floating or rushing down the stream of time into the ocean of eternity. You know, a flood, if you've seen a flood, you cannot, it's hard to resist the flood. It's going to flow. It's going to flow powerfully toward its destination. And so is our time, inexorably, irresistibly. And our lives are like a sleep, it says, when we are not usually aware of this flow, although it starts from the time we are born. Every day it's going on. When we are asleep, in fact, we are not conscious of what is going on and, and the passing of time, really. Even when life is going well, when we are flourishing like the green grass, it says here, in a brief time, it says it will wither. And I read a great sermon by a Reformed pastor, and the title is, is all I wrote down, all I can remember of it, but it was called Taking Seriously Life's Brevity. Taking Seriously Life's Brevity. I believe it is important that we take that seriously. We can't walk as stewards well with the time that God has given us unless we realize the brevity of our time here. Yeah, we don't talk about it that much, I know. And this sermon talked about the danger of ignoring this fact. And that, in fact, we need to live with this knowledge. We must live with this knowledge. Psalm 103 says, in a similar way, as for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes, but then the wind passes over it and it is gone and the place rem remembers it no more. 
But praise God, brothers and sisters, in verse 17 of Psalm 103, it says, uh, for the hope for the righteous is, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. It's timeless on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, as such as keep his commandment covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Well, in verses 7 through 11, Moses was inspired to remind the people of Israel here that they were under punishment on earth because of unrepentant sin and rebellion, specifically their unbelief and their murmuring when they left uh, Egypt. Their hearts wanted to return to Egypt, and so their lives were cut short in the desert. Verse 7, Moses said, For we have been consumed by your anger. It's crying out to the Lord. We've been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. Indeed, the wrath of God should terrify all men. His justice is perfect. And we are called to convey that. We are called to convey this truth to those around us who are fearful. Many of them are fearful, who don't have an eternal hope. They know that they are limited in time because they have no hope in eternity. And we do. We have a message to give to those people. In verse 8, he says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. David, remember, tried to hide his sins. He thought he could, but Nathan exposed them. And he said in Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God's anger and wrath against sin resulted in our death, the just and righteous punishment of the Lord upon us all as Adam's kin, resulting in the years of our lives being decreased in length and in quality. Romans 5 says, Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all men sinned. And all our sins are seen by him, even the secret ones we think are secret, by the brilliance of his holy light. And really, it's, it's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. It's the fool who says, God cannot see while I'm walking on the earth here what I'm doing in my life, when I, in my wandering time. Now Moses was recounting to the people of Israel then that they must indeed, uh, in this wandering time, also confess, because God sees their sin. He knows it all. Sin has greatly impacted life on earth, and indeed the earth itself. Our physical lives are much shorter now, much less than those uh, before the flood, which were li also limited. But verse 9 says, for all our days have passed away in your wrath. And this is specifically here, he's talking to the people of, who were wandering in the desert, those who came out of Egypt, they were dying in the desert. Uh, they had brief lives. And yet for the redeemed, the eternal penalty of sin has been removed by the atoning blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, by his grace. And so like David, we can say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He can rejoice in the days of his life. Now we can, and that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Moses continued, we finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength uh, they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Our lives may be extended, some, by modern medical wonders, and yet it is still not a whole lot longer than the length of years at the time Moses was speaking 3,700 years ago or so. 
you know, maybe 70 or 80 years. But even if a person lives what we would call a long time, let's say 80 or 90 years, life can be trying and sorrowful. People can boast. Some people do boast, I guess, of being over 100 years old. You can read that. But Moses said, even men, even then, even then when they're 100 years old, there's, there has been labor, there's been sorrow, there's been pain, and life is cut off quickly, it says, and we fly away. We fly away because it's a brief time. Moses ended this part with, who knows the power of your anger, for as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So Moses asked a question, which really no one knows, how far can his anger reach? They were experiencing the anger of God. And even those with great fear of, of his wrath do not know its depth, and nor should we ever make light of it. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Thus, we need to remember this, and we need to share this, as I said. <laughs> And as his redeemed, we must remember the immense cost to pay for the wrath of God. If you haven't read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, I would recommend you do someday. Jonathan Edwards. So the wrath of God should cause us to stand in awe and to fear God. Hebrews 12 says we are to serve God acceptably on the earth in our walk as a steward. We're to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And for those redeemed by Christ, we are to greatly rejoice in salvation and redemption and life through the propitiation of our guilt by the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. Now, in verses 12 through 17, this is what you could call the prayer, Moses' uh, specific prayer to the Lord, which we can pray. I believe we should pray this often as to be faithful stewards for mercy on our journey on the earth. I like to go through this psalm. I think I mentioned once a year at, at least, at the end of a year or beginning of another year, I like to meditate through this. And in my closing prayer, I will close uh, praying some of this. Verse 12, Moses says, thinking of all these things, the brevity of life, your eternal nature, Lord God, I, and we will, be, we will be with you forever. But Lord, now teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. They had limited days, They're even more limited. We have limited days. So we should ask the Lord to guide us by his spirit to number our days. We're to ask the Lord of grace to help us make good use of every day, every moment of every day, all of our time to be faithful stewards, to uh, redeem the time. Because all of us do struggle uh, to use our time well as a steward. We don't do it perfectly, and we are accountable, though, to the Lord. And so we are to pray. We're to ask the Lord to teach us to number our days, to, in a sense, count them, consider them carefully, and then live them out for our Master and our King. Our time on earth, as those called by Him, it's really His time. We call it our time, but it's really His time. Time... That way of thinking is what gives meaning to our days, uh, to what we call our time. It's his time. And we should not presume on a certain number of days. Spurgeon said, mourning for the time past where we have wrought the will of the flesh. In other words, that time we wish we hadn't used that like that. Mourning for that time, we should use diligently the time present. Reckoning the time which lies in the future to be too uncertain to allow us safely to delay any gracious work or prayer now. 
And that is exactly, I think, what redeeming the time means. And if we remind ourselves of the brevity of our days, it helps us, I believe, to pray. And then he says in verse 13, Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. So the people of Israel were punished by the years in the wilderness, and yet Moses asked for compassion for them. And they needed to know in that time, even in that time, as they were suffering, that in the Lord there is a future and a hope, and that the people of God would see the goodness of the Lord again in the land of the living. And Moses' prayer for Israel in verses 14 and 15 is bold, like other prayers that he brought before the Lord for his people. It's bold. It's like, like his other prayers. And he is asking the Lord to satisfy them soon, it says, to show mercy to them now and give them joy and gladness all their days, their remaining days. And he said, oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. And so when we pray, may we pray also that in our short lives, that we would know and that we'd be satisfied with the mercy of the Lord, which is everlasting. Not fearing the future, but trusting the Lord with his providential goodness to us. And then live lives of thankfulness for his daily kindness, his daily favor upon us. Verse 16 says, let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Moses acknowledges that his people are still servants. They're stewards failed, but he asked that the Lord would work his kindness in the generation coming after them. He's thinking forward as they inherit the land given by the covenant of God to them. So he's asking that the glory of the Lord would be shown in these future generations. We believe here also in covenant succession. We have hope in the Lord's covenant and the blessings upon our children. And this hope, I believe, helps us, uh, helps us to be uh, hopeful in our brief lives here. And Moses concluded his prayer. He said, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And so even for those who would not see the glory that he's speaking of there, who would not see the glory of the land of promise, Moses asked that the beauty of the Lord be, would be seen even in them. The beauty of the holiness of God would be seen even in their suffering time. And he asked that the work of their hands would last. The work of the people of God would last, would be established, knowing that uh, what his people do in his name will be established. We have to believe that the work we do in his name will never be in vain. So he's asking, essentially, he's praying, Lord, build and increase your kingdom through us and our posterity. This is what I believe kingdom people, this is how we pray. This is how we should pray. People with an eternal perspective pray this way. Spurgeon said, we come and we go, but the Lord's work abides. So now just a few specific matters. Three is all I chose out of the many that I wanted to share. First of all, working and serving. We're called as, of course, stewards. We have work to do. We're called to be servants. C.T. Studd, I think Phil has shared this quote many times, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So it's good to think about. So I'll talk about a, few, about a few of those eternal investments in my conclusion. But in his prayer for us in John 17, the Lord Jesus prayed, I have glorified you on earth. 
I have finished the work which you have given me to do. So the Lord is our example in all things. He finished all things well. To finish well, to serve in the kingdom as faithful stewards, to finish the work the Lord has given us. We must be serious and we must be careful in how we work and how we serve in our use of time that God has given us to do both of those things. The Lord has gifted us with time and with work and ministry to do during that time. There's a good chapter. Uh, if you have not read that book, I encourage you again, Don Whitney's book on the spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. There's an excellent chapter on stewardship in that book. And he talks about disciplining our time for the purpose of godliness. Disciplining our time for the purpose of godliness. And related to discipline, uh, just this past, just a couple days ago, Phil shared with me something. It was a, an app he found. Uh, I don't find those. Phil finds those. And he found this app called rescuetime.com. Oh, whoa, that's a cool name, rescuetime.com. But it tracks and it categorizes time on your digital devices. Okay, I guess there's more than just this one, too. Uh, but I had to laugh because it has a feature called, uh, uh, it's a distraction blocker. That was what it was called. Whoa. It, it will tell me when I'm just, you know, not using my time uh, well. I thought that was kind of interesting. Anyway, it, it might be helpful just throwing that out there. But uh, Don Whitney said this, though. Obviously, we must make some types of plans as though many more years remain. But a proper recognition of reality, or I would say the truth of the living God, truth of the word of God, a proper recognition of reality calls us to use our time for the purpose of godliness and growing in godliness. As though it were uncertain we would live tomorrow. For that is a very certain uncertainty, he said. Now, work for many people occupies, you know, 40 hours or more, a little more, leaving 128 hours a week. And then if we average seven hours of sleep a night, uh, there are some of us who uh, wouldn't mind doing that, but, but are not able to do that. Um, but let's say you do get seven hours of sleep. And, and actually, if you don't, uh, but you can, that might be a stewardship issue in itself. But anyway, then you have about 79 more hours in a week to serve and to rest and to worship. So I can ask, how is our, your stewardship of time in this, in, in your work and in your service? How is that? We're to be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Colossians 3.23 is probably my favorite verse on how we are to be zealous in our work for the Lord and zealous in our service for the Lord. And this is, Paul was talking to servants. He's talking to stewards, bond slaves, he called them in Colossians 3 in relation to their masters. And he said, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And our master is the Lord. Heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. We are stewards of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to serve with zeal in whatever work or ministry that the Lord has given us. So I'll ask, are you zealous? Do you feel you are zealous in the time that God has given you in, in your work, in your service? Secondly, regarding stewardship of our time during suffering, we don't, I think, often think of stewardship at this time. But we are called to be stewards of that time also. We all suffer in various ways, and we will all leave this time-limited 
sinful world uh, after suffering, some, physically, emotionally, mentally. John Piper, you all know, wrote a little booklet called Don't Waste Your Cancer. He had cancer, and he wrote that book. He did not want to waste it. He wanted God to be glorified in the midst of that, no matter what happened to him. We shouldn't waste any of God's work in our lives, of course. In times of suffering and sickness, Paul encouraged us. He said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, in other words, life now on earth, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Praise God. Not worth comparing, he said. But we should prepare to be stewards of the time when the Lord sovereignly brings suffering, trial, hard times into our lives. A couple ideas on that. We, should, we must hide his promises in our heart. His word is our strength and our life. And I believe you will be sadly mistaken if you think you can suffer, even, even minimally suffer, without clinging to the word of God. And I mean clinging to it. Having it ready in your mind as you are up at night, for example, or when persecution comes, or just in the daily struggles with the world and your own flesh and the evil one. Secondly, don't fear suffering. Are you fearful? It's natural. But God will use it to make you a better steward. First Peter 5.10 says, May the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory. So he starts out saying, Remember, you are called to eternal glory after you have suffered for a while four things perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. After you have suffered a while, in other words, may God perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. We should pray that. When we are in suffering, we should pray that for people we know who are suffering and believe this. So we should cling to promises. Cling to the promises of God. Isaiah 41.10 is... The one I cling to. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And it is wise, and it is a blessing uh, for those who are younger or who are coming after us, that we make plans for the time that we are called to be with the Lord. This is one of our stewardship tasks, I believe. One of our stewardship roles. But I think we avoid talking about these things. One way to pre it's one way to preserve more of, for those of, who are following us and enable them to be better stewards of, of their time and what we pass on to them. And in, in, the, in the funeral uh, last week, Talitha sang a song called Find Us Faithful by Steve Green. I love that song. I love the words of that song. And I... I asked my children some years ago, I believe, if I only have one song in my funeral, that is the one I want. Please play that one. And it ends by saying, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May it be so. And to avoid thinking about this, brothers and sisters, and planning for what we cannot avoid is really not being faithful as stewards. Because we probably won't do it, do as well in, in passing on what we have, what God has given us. If we wait until that time, until crisis time, possibly, we are not helping the process of covenant succession, I, I believe, as we could. And also at Vani's memorial service, at that service, which is a blessing, to hear her children share as they did, and, and, and her grandchildren. But Joshua shared... And then at the end of what he shared, he, he asked a question. And he, 
He said, are you ready to die? Are you ready to die? That's a good question. It's a good question really anytime. It's a good question for us to ask people we know who are not ready to die. And then share with them the hope that we have. But Vani was. And that question, actually, when Josh said that, it brought to my mind that if we are not ready to die or even talk about it, if we are not prepared for this in every way possible, as stewards I'm talking about now, then I think we're not really ready to live. To live by faith, to live by promise, and to live out our stewardship well. I've been reading a book on Ecclesiastes. There's a quote in there, I'll refer to it just a little later. It is the destination that makes sense of the journey. It's the destination that makes sense of the journey. Doug Wilson, in his way, wrote, it is a wise man who knows the length of his tether. Well, secondly, or thirdly, I guess it is, uh, we are meant to share suffering in the body of Christ. It's not meant to be alone in the body. We can help others. We can greatly help others through our suffering. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we have been comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, it says, so our, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. We can give abounding comfort and consolation to people in our suffering. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. We are met. That's part of body life. Faithful stewards comfort others. They point people to the Lord Jesus through their own suffering, even uh, to people who right then don't feel their suffering, they don't, or they don't even think they will. But then they may see our eternal perspective in all of this and our focus on the Lord Jesus in this, and they might turn to the Lord of life. And then we must remember how our Lord suffered for us. He was the suffering servant. And remember how he dealt with suffering. Consider him, Hebrews 12, 3. We must consider him who endured such hostility against himself so that we will not grow weary or faint-hearted or discouraged in our souls, especially during suffering. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, let us run with endurance. This is another metaphor of life on the earth, of our limited brevity, on earth. But he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, our goal. He's the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Our Lord went through unimaginable physical suffering and also the spiritual pain of what he went through uh, to bear our shame, to bear our sin and the wrath of God. So the suffering's as I said earlier, of this present time, Paul said, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so let's prepare for suffering and the time when we are called home that our stewardship might bless other people. The third thing I'd like to talk about last is resting. Stewards need to rest sometimes. They need to rest to be effective in their stewardship calling. Now I can tell you right now, I can tell you for sure how much that should be. As a minimum, in a week, it's one day in seven. It's one day in seven. It's commanded. It's commanded because of the grace of God to us. He knows how much we need to rest. 
Now, more rest might be necessary at other times, but this rest is called to be as unto the Lord with each other. But we, we do need physical and mental rest. People need different amounts of sleep each night. Uh, they need more or less vacation time from work and pressures. Um, but on a, daily, on a daily basis, here's a verse I'd like you to think about. Psalm 127.2. This is Solomon. He didn't always use his time well. He said this, verse 2, Psalm 127.2. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, or some versions call it the... the, the uh, the bread of anxious toil. It's in vain for you to do that, live like that. For so God gives his beloved sleep. He gives us rest. The meaning here is that it is in vain, it is not productive or helpful or wise for stewards to get up early, to work like crazy and go to bed late because you're anxious or because you're driven. You may have to work hard sometimes, of course. You know, when you can, work hard as unto the Lord for the glory of God. But a question I would ask is, are you a faithful steward of your time of rest? Some people have a hard time resting, I believe. They have a hard time saying no or quitting whatever they're doing. And maybe they're very focused on it, but they need to rest. The Lord gives to his beloved stewards rest. And we need that to serve him as better stewards. Now, the second kind of rest is our worship time. And I mentioned a few months ago, I read a book called The, the Lord's Day by Joseph Pipa. And he said in his chapter on preparation for this day of rest, he said, plan to leave time on Saturday to complete whatever chores cannot be done during the week. Some may object that they do not have enough time to get everything done. But remember, God gave you six days to do all your work and pleasure and then he said, one wise pastor said, if you cannot complete your work in six days, you have taken on more than God intends. And then he adds this. This is, this is so helpful to me. He said, Sabbath keeping promotes stewardship of time in the way tithing promotes stewardship of money. And I hope I remember this when we talk about tithing and, and our finances. Sabbath keeping promotes stewardship of time in the way tithing promotes stewardship of money. Tithing not only teaches that God is the sovereign disposer of all our possessions, it also demands a more careful use of our money since we'll have less to work with. As Sabbath observance sets aside one day of the Lord, it also reminds us that he has given us six days for work and recreation, other kinds of rest maybe. When we Limit life's regular responsibilities and pleasures to six days, we will necessarily make better use of our time. And have you ever noticed how really busy people, they, they learn basically how to plan, how to schedule their time, because they have to. They have to do that. So the Sabbath day is a day of spiritual recreation. Praise God. It's a weekly holiday. And it helps us also to think about and to prepare for our eternal rest. It gives us rest for our physical time now, and it reminds us again of our eternity with the Lord. And we need this reminder to help us keep an eternal perspective on the earth, to anticipate our eternal rest and our eternal home, to be encouraged by that. Because maybe you had a really hard week, and you are tired here today. I praise God that he gives us this pledge of our eternal rest, this command to obey him on the Sabbath. 
Piper said too, as we celebrate Christ's resurrection on the first day of the week, we get the eternal perspective. By his resurrection, God reminds us that though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we shall be victorious in him. The promise in the whole book, the promise that basically he's exegeting is Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure, not speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. What a promise. And then he says, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is a promise, a sure promise, if we will keep it. The promise of God to Abraham gave the patriarchs a timeless perspective and a hope in the future for generations. And that is the heritage of Jacob that it's talking about here. For those who delight in and who rest in the Lord's day. Okay, finally, I'd like to conclude a few thoughts on how do you keep an eternal and a timeless perspective when we are bound in time? Well, first of all, having and keeping that can be challenging. I've already mentioned that. Colossians 3, 2, so, though, says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Well, that might help you keep your perspective if you think about this. Set your mind on things above. How can I do that all the time? But it says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ now in God. We're to set our minds on things above, not primarily on the earth. Well, the patriarchs and the prophets, they had a perspective, I believe, on time that we can learn from. They were mostly filled with hope in the coming Messiah, and in, in the future for their descendants on earth until the Messiah came. They walked by faith, not by sight. They couldn't see that far. And so, like Abraham, they lived by faith in the promises of the timeless one. Two verses I'd love to share about, but I will not. Romans 4, 20 and 20, 20 through 22. You could meditate on that. I believe it's helpful, again, to understand the time perspective of the patriarchs. Hebrews 11, 13 and 14, same thing. I will not. I, I did, but I'm not going to do that now. But anyway, their life, limited by time as ours, was filled with thoughts of, a, of an eternal home and a rest for the people of God. They thought about it a lot, and it caused them to see themselves in time as strangers and pilgrims on the earth. People who say such things and think such things are declaring plainly to the glory of God that they seek an eternal homeland. They have an eternal perspective. We must have that. And may we grow in that. May we have faith on this pilgrimage that we are on uh, to the end of our lives. Faith in our eternal homeland. And, and that we declare that to anybody, everybody. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Another passage I will very quickly go through, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. In other words, time is passing on. I, I know that in my body. Time passes on, and so do we. But then it says, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Praise God. Our inward man, our heart and our soul, is being prepared for that time of eternity in this vapor's breath. We are being prepared for eternal worship. 
And then it says, for our light affliction. Paul did not go through light affliction, but he said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment compared to eternity, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we, in other words, on this earth, do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary or time-limited, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, you may think, as I just read that, well, can you think too much about this kind of stuff? Can you rest in too much? Can you think about too much about eternal life, your home awaiting you? Does that make you unable or unfit somehow to effectively serve now as a steward in this world? Well, in fact, you are made even more fit, I believe, to serve as a steward now if you remember or are not afraid to think about your own frailty now and your eternal home and and your calling. I believe then you have the best perspective in, in what true life really is. Now, you may be thinking, oh, okay, Mr. Duff, maybe easy for you to say, but you know, you're an old guy. Uh, you know, two-thirds of your life might be finished. But I, and I would say to you, I do think more and more about these things. I suppose I have a, a different perspective on the remaining time of my life than I did when I was 15. But by the grace of God, he is giving me great joy in thinking of this. And even if you're young, we should not fear thinking about these things. Should not fear it. I believe it's healthy to recall our limited time now and thus our eternal life because it causes us to look to our hope and our true life in Jesus now, starting now. We may not like to think about our limited time, but to ignore doing so will cause us, I believe, to not live our life now properly. Meaning, in light of eternity, for the kingdom of the Lord. And as stewards, we have a reckoning, by the way. We have an accounting. We must do that to our master. There's a small book that I read in the midst of the preparation. It was by Jonathan Edwards. He wrote this in 1734. It's called The Preciousness of Time and the Importance of Redeeming It. Again, I would recommend that. It's very short. It's free online the preciousness of time and the importance of redeeming it. But in that, he said, he thought, or he thought we should start the day with the thought that we would account to the Lord for our stewardship at the end of that given day. And some people do that. I know some people have a habit of of thinking about that and, and asking the Lord to help them do better tomorrow or, you know, praising God for what he did through them, in them, in that day. It's, it's a good practice. So as a summary... Just a few thoughts on time wasters and a few thoughts on time well invested. Some time wasters. I only had four of many. And I have been asking the men, as I've been meeting with them for the last two months, uh, what are your biggest time wasters? It's been very interesting to ask that question. These aren't all related to that, but uh, I've been learning a lot. And we're working together on those things. But we all waste time. But the first one... I wrote down was excessive entertainment. And by that I mean, I'm not against entertainment, but excessive entertainment, especially when it's just me or it's focused on self. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. I won't quote it. Laziness is another one. And I already shared Colossians 3.23. How is our zeal? Are we working hardly as unto the Lord? Not trusting in God. Is it will cause a great waste of our time. 
Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Not acting in faith. It's definitely a time waster because it grieves the Holy Spirit, first of all. It displeases God, and then it causes us many heartaches. And then finally, the one I think that is uh, huge, is most common, is worry. It's plain old worry. Matthew 6 says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Some versions stay to the length of his life. You can't. It won't help. Worry is oftentimes spent thinking without faith, basically. But we're to walk by faith now, not by sight. Time well invested to conclude. I've basically already shared these things. Time in the eternal word of God with the Lord is an eternal investment. Colossians 3.2, I mentioned. Philippians 4.8 talks about meditating always on the word. 1 Timothy 4.8 talks about the benefits of being in the word now and the benefits in eternity. Secondly, as I said, time worshiping and resting in the Lord Jesus is an eternal investment. It's preparation for our eternal home and for eternal, our eternal worship with him. Third, time in prayer is an eternal investment because it has eternal power in Christ and is the best way for us to keep, I believe, an eternal perspective because we're communing with the timeless one. And our mind is set on our eternal Lord. As I also mentioned, time preparing to suffer, time seeking the Lord during our suffering is an eternal investment. First Peter 5.10 was the verse I shared then. And then finally, time serving and helping people to know the Lord Jesus and to walk with the Lord Jesus is an investment in eternal souls. May God make us good stewards in all of these ways in our time.